0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. We looked at verse 7 last week, which was, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And today we pick up in verse 8, and we'll go through verse 19. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall Find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we are so thrilled that you have given us 66 books. Because, Lord, as we we go and we explore various parts of your holy word, we see that you have addressed everything that we need for life and for godliness. We thank you that you have not forgotten our children and our youth. And, and, Lord, you've put a book that is filled with so much practical insight that is, that is meant to, to, to really uh, apply the faith to the real world in which children are living. Lord, guidance and wisdom for parents. Lord, we, we thank you for this word, and we, we humbly receive it. We need it. We need your instruction. We need your musar. We we need your correction. We say right now, Lord, we don't want to leave this place the same as we are right now. When we leave, we pray that we will have been corrected, that we will have greater insight and understanding, all in the service of obedience to you. And Lord, we pray that obedience would not flow from duty but it would flow from faith in you. Thank you that we do not read this word alone, but we read it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we say, Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts to receive, understand, to believe, and to obey, to walk in these paths. And we make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, and together God's people said, Amen. As we come to this section of chapter 1, I would like the outline of these verses uh, to be the outline of the sermon. So let me just begin by giving you an outline. You can follow along and then you'll you'll see what what we're talking about, what portion of this text. Uh, This, of course, is the first discourse, the first discussion that the the father is going to have with his son. They're going to be There are going to be 10 of these in total that we're going to get to in these early chapters of Proverbs. So if you're a parent, I would be taking really careful notes right about now because you're going to learn not only the content of how uh, God wants us or what God wants us to instruct our children, you're going to also learn God's strategies of how He wants us to teach and to instruct our children. And so the outline would go something like this. In, in verse 8, what you're going to see is the command. Just right out of the gate, it says, Hear my son. So it is a command to hear the instruction of the father and the teaching of the mother. In verse 9, you're going to see the motivation. Why should you do that? And Proverbs is filled with many very practical blessings that flow from obedience. Verse 9, For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So that's part of the reward for be, for listening to your father and mother. Verses 10 through 14 form the third section of uh, this Portion of chapter one, and what you see there is the evil temptation. You see the the temptation to do wrong, and we will discuss that. It's actually the the father creating, putting in front of the child a scenario and saying, "Hey, if this happens," he uses those words, uh, and they say this to you, and they say the other. It's the father painting a picture, a portrait of what actual temptation might look like like in the life of his child. And then we see in verses uh, 15 through 18, we see some reasons that we should resist that temptation that comes our ways. Why should you? You should resist, and why should you resist their temptation? And then finally in verse 19 is a summary statement, a concluding statement that takes this back to the real heart of the issue, which is, as I'm going through Proverbs, I've been surprised that what they are in large measure is commentary on the Ten Commandments. And this is commentary, this section is a commentary on the Tenth Commandment. You see that when it says in the summary verse, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. This is another way of describing the coveting that is prohibited in the 10th commandment. And then it finally ends with a word that, that you will not live. Your life will be taken away if you are disobedient and you are covetous and you are greedy "...for unjust gain." So with that as sort of an outline, we now go to verse 8 to begin looking at this section of Scripture together. In verse 8 it says, we'll read it, it says, "...hear my son your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching." That first word uh, is shema, which we should know from the hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one." It is uh, this call to to listen. That word Shema also doesn't just mean just listen and then go and do whatever you want. Entailed in biblical hearing is obedience. You hear in order to obey. Now notice that that the description here is of a son. But the, the, the word put in front of it is to show the tenderness. Hear my son. This is no uh, uh, father, disinterested father. This is a father who is, has tender feelings toward his child, calling him my son. Now, we will recognize that what Proverbs does is it's going to put into very concrete discourses between a father and son something that is not meant to just be between father and son, but would be between father and daughter, between mother and son, and mother and daughter. It's just making a very concrete way, and rather than having to say all of those, it, it makes it very specific. Notice, though, that then this is not just the father's job. It, in that very verse, says, forsake not your mother's teaching. However, what you see very clearly in Scripture is, is that God has set into the family a structure of authority. It never says that the father is... Uh, it doesn't put the mother first and the father second. It always says that the father is to be the primary teacher in the home. He can't just say, you know what, I'm going to go off and I'm going I'm to earn a living for the family. Mom, you do whatever you want to do. You teach them whatever. Whatever. The father, in order to take his biblical role, must recognize he is the teacher, not to teach what he learns from the world, not to teach what he thinks is good ideas, what he picks up in the newspaper or on television or on the internet, but he is to instruct them in the ways of God. We know this because of that word instruction, that here, my son, your father's instruction, that word musar, it means correction. None of us like correction. We don't want to be corrected. But, but the, the biblical reality is if you want to be wise, you have to realize you are constantly going to need to be corrected. We all are in error in some way, and we need to be disciplined. We need to have someone say, that's not the right way. Sometimes as a parent, you probably get tired and say, I don't know. I just want them just, I'm just going to let my children do whatever they want to do. Do you know what? There is a biblical portrait of where that kind of hands-off parenting will end. Do you remember the priest, the high priest, Eli, and his two sons? They end up becoming worthless, wicked, immoral preacher's kids. And the reason is, is it says, he did not restrain them. He would not teach them. He would never say, hey, you're going the wrong direction. I know sometimes you get tired, but if you're going to be a father in a home that is going to honor the word of God, you have to take it upon yourself that you have to be willing when you see your child in error. Maybe they don't know what the right way. You instruct them. If they're going the wrong way, you discipline them to bring them back to the path. But notice this is a... This is a job for both parents. Though the father has that role, that first role, the mother is also a teacher. The word there for teaching is the word Torah, where we get the first five books of the law. Not just meaning law, but meaning instruction, teaching. It's sort of the the whole explaining of the faith. We know from Deuteronomy 6, this is not just something that you say, all right, we're going to have one hour of teaching if you're a mom. Do you know when you teach? You teach in the minivan as you're riding down the road and the kids are fighting in the back seat. You, you, you teach as your, your kids are are not wanting to do their homework. You, you teach as life happens. It is a, a, uh, a, a manual of instruction, which is God's word. In other words, moms, you can't hope to teach Torah if Torah is not in your heart because you're not going to be able to sit down in the busy life of a mother and say, well, let me actually check out what the Bible says. By the time you do that, your children will be hanging from the chandeliers. So you have to have the word of God hidden in your heart and you have to have key scriptures, key thoughts, key realities, and to be able to teach your children as life is happening. As you are in the way, when you rise up, when you sit down, you are to be instructing them. So, but notice this is not a, a verse that says, teach fathers, mothers, teach. What it says is, is it directed to the child. It is directed to the child. So every one of us that are children in this room, we need to recognize God has commanded. He has woven into the fabric of the universe and he has revealed it clearly. We are to learn authority. We are to learn right from wrong. We are to learn how to to fear the Lord. We are to learn how to trust God's word from our parents. It is God's structure. Are there parents that are unbelieving? Yes. Are there parents that are evil? Yes. But the way that God intended it to be, and for many of you in this room, you can thank God that you have parents that are going to try to lead you in paths of righteousness, and it is your responsibility, not on the basis of who they are or how great a parents they are. God is telling you, honor them, listen to them, hear them, obey them. Now, when it says here, and forsake not your mother's teaching, that means don't trample your mother's teaching underfoot. You you know how it goes, right? As a little child, you obey and you get to be a teenager and then you question everything as though your mother and your father, they don't know anything. You, You know what the cure for that period is? Is growing old enough to have your own child and then you look back and you go, you know, my parents were pretty smart. I realize how much they knew. I realize how much they care. Being a mother or father is incredibly difficult, and we're not called as we grow older to trample it underfoot, to forsake it, to leave it behind. Now, what you see in this is an interesting fact, and that is that in God's structure, God loves. Now, hear me on this. God loves hierarchy a terrible word in our, in our world. We don't like hierarchy. We don't want anybody over us. We run around with bumper stickers that says, question authority. We don't like authority. Yet God has said from government authority, he has instituted. He has instituted authority in the home. That middle commandment, honor your father and your mother, is how you learn to honor God, it's how you learn to live a life that will honor your marital relationship and honor the property of others and honor your word. Uh, It's that role. So so let let me just make right out of the gate a plea. Let me make a plea. The religious instruction, the faith instruction, the spiritual instruction of your children is not something that you can outsource to the church For a couple of hours on Sunday or a couple of hours on Wednesday, you, father, you, mother, are the primary spiritual teacher in your child's life. You need to take that mantle upon yourself. You need to realize that's what you're called to be. Some of us saw this this week, but it was a good reminder how many times in this world people really get confused and think my role as a father or mother is to be my child's best friend. Find that in the Bible. Maybe some people, as they grow up, they find that their mother or their father is their best friend, and that can be be fine. That can be a good thing. But the reality is, if you are their best friend, but you are not their instructor and you are not their teacher... You may have won them as your buddy, but you have failed God and his clear revelation. You are to be their spiritual teacher. That's your role. That's your job. And so right now, we need to take that and say, Lord, oh, help me to see that if my child is going to grow, it's not going to be on the basis of, boy, I hope they get this problem fixed at school. We need to be correcting. We need to be teaching them the Torah, the word of God, the law of God, the instruction that comes from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. You know, I think about this um, when you hear the prayer of Mary in Luke chapter 1. You know, think about it. She was uh, a poor girl. Young girl, we know they're poor, they offered the two turtle doves. They didn't have a lot. But do you know what that girl had? Not only did she have an obedient heart, you read her prayer, the magnificat, you read that and you realize this woman had hidden the word of God in her heart. That it wasn't just Joseph who was going to teach Jesus to increase in knowledge, in increase in wisdom, as it says in Luke two but it is going to be his mother. Jesus, I mean, do you think about this. The one who created everything, the one whose word this ultimately is, he learned Bible verses from mom. That's an amazing thought. He, he learned prayer and honesty and integrity from, from watching his hardworking father on earth, Joseph. Do not, parents, forsake your role. Take it on. If you've not taken it on, take it on now. Your job is to instruct. Your job is to teach. And children, it is your job to know that you are called to hear, to listen. And as they make commands that are not ungodly, you are to obey. Now, what's the result of this? What's the uh, what's the motivation then for doing this? Well, verse 9, For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. One commentator looking at the Egyptian background of these two uh, terms, the pendant and the garland, uh, suggests that what these were, were these were symbols. That that literally the father's instruction would be like a, a garland and the mother's uh, teaching would be like a pendant and the garland would, would be a a symbol of of victory, a symbol of life, a symbol of of power. And and the pendant would be a symbol of guidance and of protection. That, That literally, the greatest legacy you can leave for your kids is not a monetary inheritance. But it is a legacy of love for God and His Word and willingness to say to your child, I love you too much to keep letting you think what you think and to act the way you act. Even if you don't like me, even if you're not. I'm not popular, I'm going to do what's right because I truly love you. I think about when my dad died, um, my inheritance were uh, two old bottles that he dug up from the shores of where the Dutch would throw their alcohol bottles into the Essequibo River in Guyana, where I was born. That that was my inheritance. Oh, but it was not. My inheritance was I saw a man who loved God. I saw a man who taught the Word of God, who lived for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I saw a man who was faithful to my mom, I saw a man who was faithful to his three children. I saw a man who was faithful to the calling of God in his life. Let me tell you, that is a legacy and an inheritance that is greater than any financial benefit that could ever come to a child. Do not neglect this, children. Do not neglect to hear it, children. Do not neglect to give it, parents. You know, when you think about it, those of you, your parents are gone. I, I, how many times I hear stories of parents who were firm. I'm not talking about mean. They're mean parents and they're, that's another discussion for another day. But parents who are firm. And as a child, you didn't like the discipline you got. But you know what? As an adult, you rise up and you say, Thank God I had a mother that wouldn't let me get away with that. I, I remember... Um, my father only almost, almost took me out of this world once. And that was because, and you'll you'll agree, he should have. I was about six and I got mad at my mom and I threw a brick at her and hit her in the head. Let me tell you, I never did that again. That was the end for me. I mean, that was horrible. I remember, I mean, the fear of God was was put into my soul that day and I learned you do not treat your mother like that. You treat your mother like that, you have me, you have my discipline that is coming down upon you. Parents, love your children enough. Love your children enough to take your rightful role and to correct them to instruct them with the word of God. You know what? When it's all over, they will have a crown of victory and a pendant of of guidance and protection that will far outweigh any earthly blessings or advantages or educational opportunities that you could have offered them if you leave them with that spiritual legacy of planting the wisdom of God in their hearts. Now notice then the third section. In verse 10 through 14, the father now is going to create a scenario for the child. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So he's, he's putting a hypothetical situation before the child. And he's going to get more specific in verse 11. If they say, I mean, think about this. Is this not amazing? This was written 3,000 years ago. And how many children come over to the parents? Well, that's what they're saying. That's what they're doing. And and this is the father, this is the parent beating the temptation, cutting the temptation off before it even arises. As a parent, it's always that tough juggling act of saying, I don't want to put things before my child, before they're actually facing that. We want to try to preserve the fact that they're they're shielded from some of the, the realities of this world. But let me tell you, if in 3, 000, if, if in 900 and something B.C., 3,000 years ago, if they were having to think ahead and prepare their children for temptations they may not have yet faced, can you imagine in an age where your children literally have access at their fingertips to a world of evil that you would not have to prepare them in advance to face temptations at younger and younger and younger ages? I mean, are you not shocked when your five-year-old comes home and knows curse words that you may not have even heard of until you were 15? Are you not surprised at, at the opportunities for pornography, the opportunities for abuse that your children are exposed to at earlier and earlier ages? And so I'm going to say, if you're going to be wise, you need to think ahead on behalf of your child, and you need to be able to say, this is a situation you might face. If you face this, w- when this situation arises, you're preparing them for the future. Yes, you've got to use wisdom when and what age and what possibilities are more open to different children. What, what are things that seem to be enticing to them? So this father is thinking ahead he, he, he's wanting to present a situation. And so he comes up with this situation which in some ways feels like it's over the top. But, but, but let me just say this. Do you really, And children, you need to hear this. Your parents ultimately cannot make you do the right thing. They can't make you. Same way as I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can't make you believe it. And the Lord Jesus Christ has a spiritual kingdom of which he is the king. And he wants that kingdom to endure forever. And so it is not going to be based upon naked power or coercion. And we see here in the Father, he is using the powers of persuasion. He's trying to use all of the creativity. He's trying to figure how do you put a a real life scenario in front of your son and paint the situation in such a way that they can see the ugly, dark reality that lies behind it. You need that wisdom from above. You need to think ahead and you need to persuade your children why they should follow the path of wisdom and they should run away from the path of folly. So notice that here it says in verse 10 "My son my son if sinners entice you do not consent This is one of the things that that we will recognize is that that the, the world that sinners love company uh, what, what you have in this section is not just a temptation it's a gang temptation. It's a temptation to join a gang of evildoers. And you may say, well, I don't know. We don't have gangs in Mount Airy. You do have peer groups. And your children, you think about what the the parent is warning the child against is there's going to come a day when your peer group, when that boy or that girl, that for some reason when you become a teenager, you're going to think, that you care more about what they say than what I say, I want you to be prepared. We live, we see that, how every generation of teenagers get to that point when all of a sudden they, just because of the world, the flesh and the devil, they just shut off what their parents are saying. They think their parents have never lived, can't understand, and they begin to let their peer group have more influence in their life. I mean, isn't it true? I mean, you think back on your own life. Either you entice somebody to join you in sin or someone enticed you. I, I just, this is not really a comment about smoking, but you know what I want to tell you? What I found out, teenage smokers are the most generous people on earth. You know what they're always doing? Hey, you want a cigarette? Take a cigarette, borrow a cigarette. It's just like they want more people to join them in killing their lungs, right? They they, they just, it's like they can't just be said, if I've got my cigarettes, I'm going to stay over here in my corner. They just are very free in it. They're always saying, come join in on what we're doing. In fact, notice there in verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol. Let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down into the pit. Notice here, there, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to evil. And, and, and notice, this is absolutely amazing. Go back to Genesis 3. Is this not what Satan did? He said, join me. In my plot to overthrow God. He didn't spell it out that clearly, but that's essentially what he was saying. Do you notice that when you hear this, there always will be those siren calls, those voices trying to pull you ahead. This one is pulling them to easy money that they're going to gain just by taking it away from other people. But notice, if you would, turn with me over just a few chapters uh, to chapter seven, look in verse eighteen. The other temptation. This is the adulterous woman. Notice what she says in verse eighteen. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. So, so here you have that diabolical invitation. Join, join me. Come, come. Let's let's do this together. So, so let me just say this. Satan cannot make anything. He counterfeits everything. What he's wanting to do here is, is come lie with us and wait for blood. Let's ambush the innocent without reason. He's promising excitement. He's promising a thrill. And this is one of the reasons that that young people in the church they kind of go they say, you know what? The church was boring. Christianity was boring. I wanted excitement. That was where the life was. That was where the enjoyment was. And so Satan is going to create a false thrill, a thrill that will thrill for a second and shock you the next. Notice the second thing. Notice how the language is. Verse 11, let us lie in wait. Again, after the semicolon, let us ambush the innocent. Verse 12, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. Verse 13, we... Then again, after the the, uh, comma, we, verse 14, throw in your lot with us. Do you see what the invitation of the peer group, the gang temptation is that ultimately flows from Satan itself? Do you see what it is? He is presenting to the young people a counterfeit of community. This is, Eric Erickson says this, and I think he's right. He was a secular psychologist. He says, adolescence is the quest for a sense of identity. You want to know who you are and what you're about. And, and so they, people jump into a peer group as young people, and they say, this is, this is where I'm going to be. This is, this is who I am. I'm a part of this group. This is my clique. These are my friends. This is, this is my gang. And this is what they're doing. Come, hey. Be a part of us. You'll be a part of something. Satan couldn't create anything, but he counterfeits everything. And then finally, you see that he's he's counterfeiting the way to gain. Verse 13, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Verse 14, "We we will all have one purse. He's he's promising here, look, you're going to get rich. You're going to have money, and you're just going to find it. It's just going to be there. You don't have to work for it. I mean, think about these. Think about your parents. You know, they worked 40 years to pay off their house. You can have it right now. Take it. You know, your, 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 your parents did all of this, and they just slowly saved up. Get it. Get it now. Have it. Let me tell you all, you just think about this. I mean, is it not true that we live in an age where people don't want to wait for anything? They want to have everything, so they take it all on debt. And do you know what we have created? We talk about being a nation of free people, but yet if you ask the truth, the vast majority of Americans are slaves to credit card companies. Our bosses, our slave masters live in Delaware of all places. We are made slaves by wanting to short circuit God's plan. His plan is you labor, it builds your character, and then you are slowly garnering little by little. But what does Satan say? You can have it and you can have it all now is this not what satan did for jesus he wants jesus to short circuit god's plan for his life they're stones turn them into bread you're hungry fill that desire right now he is putting in front of jesus instant gratification you want to be the ruler of the kingdoms of the world worship me don't go through a cross worship me and i will give them to you now Short circuiting, counterfeiting. That whole idea, we'll all have one person, just that sense of, man, these are my buddies. we're, We're comrades, we have camaraderie. And is this not true? How many of us are led astray by having a group of friends? that do not share biblical values that have no commitment to teaching, the teaching, have no commitment to Christ and to his gospel. Well, what I would say is, the other thing you notice this, what is this commitment of this scenario that the father puts in front of the young man? These people are egalitarian to the hilt. Everybody's equal, right? We will have one purse, Join in. Forget all that mom and dad, I got to do what they say. We're all equal. Level playing field. You get your share. So get rid of hierarchy. Replace it with a level playing field where everybody is equal. Let me just tell you, there's a name for this scenario, and it is United States of America. We don't want anybody in any role of authority over us. And because of that, we have fallen sway, not just as individuals, but we have fallen sway to the spirit of the age, and he literally is destroying us because we will not obey and listen to anyone. Notice the father, though, is making the point in this so clearly that this is over the top. Let's ambush the innocent. I mean, really, are they going to talk like that? he's, He's... He's making a caricature. He's showing that ultimately how ignorant these people are. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. What he's doing is he's setting them up. That When it says here, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Notice in verse 18, he's going to flip the the coin and show the other side. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own blood. Lives, he's saying. That's what they're doing. They, they they may not actually come right out and saying we're 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 trying to ambush the innocent. We're trying to lie and wait for blood, but that's the reality of what they're doing. But in but the truth is, they think they're getting ready to gain, and in truth, they're getting ready to be destroyed. Do you remember back in verse four? It says that one of the things that this book is intended to do is to give prudence to the simple. And that means that they're to be able to face rival discourses and to be able to weigh them. So, So let me just tell you, we have a flat, foolish view of reality. I want to tell you, parents, that you cannot assume that this world is a peaceful, happy, loving place for your child. It is a minefield that they could be safe one second and they could step on a mine that would maim them and harm them for life. Children, you need to recognize that you are in a battle. Life is a battle. And we're not just coming here and, oh, you know what? Don't have any fun. Follow God. We're saying that if you follow the enemy, it may be. and it may be enjoyable for a season, but it will ultimately lead to your own harm. It will hurt you. It will lead to your own destruction. It will ruin you from the inside out. There is a pitched battle. We need to recognize that Satan has been doing this and he is only heightening it, and that is there is a competition for the soul of the youth. And his competition, he says, if I can't destroy them with immorality, I will destroy them with banality, meaning I will make them so distracted and they will spend all their time texting that they never give any time to thinking. They will spend all of their time watching this program or doing this, that literally they've never thought about the fact that they are in a battle for their soul. Think about what your children might face. Put the scenarios in front of them. Say, look, somebody's going to come up to you and say this and this and this. But then show them what the results are and how they're to resist. Look with me. Verses 15 through 18. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. He says, don't. He says, notice this, he says, don't walk in the way with them. hold back your foot from their paths, meaning don't even put, it's sort of like the the, change the metaphor, don't even put your toe in the water. Don't even start down that path. How many of us know that once you start down a path, it is so hard to get off of it? Once you start down a path of lying, once you start down a path of disobedience, once you start down a path of of substances being taken into your body that you are addicted to, you can't stop. Notice when it says there, that's what's being said in verse 16. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Meaning, they're not even thinking about this anymore. They're running headlong into things that are godless and will ultimately destroy them. It is a a 900 BC way of saying they're addicted to sin. He who sins is a slave to sin. They can't even stop it. They can't stop running toward that evil. They're making haste to shed blood. It's as though they're being controlled. Satan will let you think, man, I am finally out from underneath my parents. I've got my friends. They don't care what I do. They're cool with everything. I'm the master of my own life. And you know what you find 10 years later? You are a slave. And you can't stop the things you started. But ultimately... These men that are promising these things, it says they they lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Can you imagine that portrait? It means you're ambushing yourself. You're ambushing yourself. How many young people, I just want to tell you, God has created you in his image and in his likeness. And he wants to empower you by his grace and through his son, Jesus Christ, to do amazing things for him and for his kingdom. And how many young people, maybe they trust Christ, they might go to heaven, but because they have squandered their life and they have become slaves to sin and to habits that they cannot break, that they literally have wasted their life. Satan says, I'm going to bless you. I'm telling you today, it's a counterfeit. Satan says you're going to have a community, a family, you're going to have real brothers in arms. It is a counterfeit. And ultimately, you are setting an ambush that one day is going to come and destroy you. Final verse, verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone. is greedy for unjust gain it takes away the life of its possessors he comes back and says you know what the problem is is people want easy money you want to get rich fast you want to have have things without working for them you want them quick One of the reasons God doesn't make it that way is because ultimately labor is not about what you gain. It's about the character that is developed through the process of persevering day in, week in, getting up, going to a job, working, learning the skills, and slowly, as your character is developed, you can handle the increase in possessions and resources that are put there, not just for your pleasure, but so that you can be a blessing. Literally, when it says greedy for unjust gain, it's the one who cuts a cut. Literally, the person who's, who wants to rip people off. And it says ultimately it's going to take away the life of its possessors. This is one of the reasons you have to read Proverbs in its context. Because you can say, you know what? I know a lot of people who've ripped people off and they're doing just fine, thank you. Isn't that what big business is in America? Just ripping people off? Getting money from their bank account into your bank account for junk that they don't need? Isn't that what it's about? And here what it's ultimately saying, you know, people succeed in that, right? They succeed, they're just continuing. They're going from glory to glory in their evil. They pass on their wealth to their children. But when you hear, it takes away the life of its possessors. Here, you have to read Proverbs in its ultimate context. The only way that's possible is because we live life in the fear of the Lord, knowing that everyone will stand before God and give an account for their life. And you will either live forever in his presence or you will live Forever away from his presence in something called eternal destruction. Jesus makes it so plain when he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it to the full. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 21 very quickly as we conclude. Deuteronomy 21. Notice then, because there are many of us as we're in this situation today, we say, you know what, I, I've been rebellious, I've been stubborn. Deuteronomy twenty-one eighteen: If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, notice them again. And though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is he's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So shall you purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Do you see how seriously God takes rebellion against your mother and your father, especially when they are teaching you his word? He says it is so serious that you deserve Death. We think it's just something kids misbehaving. It's kind of cute. Something to laugh at. Let me tell you, parents, when your children talk back to you, when they are insolent, when they are disrespectful, when they are disobedient, and you do not plead with God, show me how in love and firmness to discipline this child, you are letting them go down a path that will ultimately hurt them, proving you love yourself and that child's opinion of you more than you love that child. So what do we do? Aren't all of us rebels? Aren't all of us stubborn? I mean, I cannot tell you the number of times I heard truth from my mother and father and I literally spat on it and went the other way. I can't tell you the times I've read the Bible and then just gone and done the exact opposite of what it said. So literally, I deserve to be stoned. I deserve to be hanged by God literally here it says he's a glutton and a drunkard. Do you know who they called a glutton and a drunkard in the New Testament? The one man who was neither. The man who was not a glutton, was not a drunkard, but he came and he went into the places where sinners were, not to join them in their sinfulness, but to point them to the mercy and grace of God. He who was the one completely obedient son came and took upon himself The mocking of people who said he's actually a glutton and he's actually a drunkard. He's the one who lived the perfect, he was the innocent blood read matthew read how they keep saying he's the innocent blood he's the only innocent blood you're not innocent i'm not innocent and he was hanged on a tree and he was cursed by god my god my god why have you forsaken me so what i'm saying to you today is as you come to this yes we want to obey but what of our failures we have one who was the perfect obedient son who took our sins upon himself for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the Father says, when he, the Son is transfigured upon the mountain, he said, this is my beloved Son, hear him. Jesus is calling us, he tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is not giving you an invitation to a gang of evil. He's not saying, come and get easy money. Come and fill yourself with the blood and the goods of others. Come and fill yourself with illicit love in adulterous affairs. The Lord Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord Jesus is giving you an invitation, a divine invitation. Hear Him. Respond to Him. Trust Him. And believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is cursed by God, so that your trespasses and my trespasses, your failures as a parent, as a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, might be covered by the blood of the precious Lamb. And then He gives you a portion of His Spirit so that you can learn how to obey not out of mere duty, but out of faith flowing from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Would you pray with me? Father, oh Lord, we are in a pitched battle. Lord, we just think that life is just Just a series of scheduled events. Some we like, some we don't like. But Lord, there's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle and it's for the souls of all, but especially the souls of the simple, souls of the young. Those that are not yet committed. Those that don't know, is this my mother's faith or is it my faith? Is this the God of my father or is it my God? Will I hear the Lord Jesus Christ and come unto Him and become His obedient, public, humble disciple? Will I take the Word of God as my my authority in life? Will I take the Gospel of Christ as my only hope to withstand under the law, the perfect, holy, righteous law of the Father in heaven? O Lord... Would you help us right now to trust you, to obey you? Let me lower your hands. Father, I just say in agreement with your word that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And Lord, there have been parents that have just humbled themselves and said, I need help. I need help. And Lord, I pray that they would find you so willing to answer that prayer. They're asking for wisdom and you promised you'll give it. They need strength. And Lord, we know that your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made perfect in weakness. Lord, help them to recommit and say, I am going to take the soul development, the spiritual education of my child as seriously as I take them having enough food and having clothes and having opportunity to go to school. I want them to develop at what matters most in who they are as a person, what they believe, what kind of character they have. God, help these parents, Lord. Lord, I thank you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if it were not for him, the only son who is completely obedient, but yet willing to stand in the place of all of us disobedient sons and daughters, to take our failings, our sins, our evil upon himself, we would have no hope. So Lord Jesus, we say, we come to you. We come to you. We cling to you. We trust in you now and all the days of our life and in the hour of our death. In your name we pray and together God's people said, Amen.